You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Which word do you use more often every day? The word yes or the word no? Be honest. Most of us say no by default. It makes us feel safe. If we automatically say yes to things, we will have to experience the unknown. That's scary. It can also be exciting and enriching. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles, and you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. That is www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I promise to read every message I receive and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest is a man who has made friends with the word yes. It has helped him accomplish many things. He's a prolific author of such books as Just Say Yes, Stop Waiting for It to Get Easier, It's Okay to Be Scared, and many more. He's the founder of the Dream Business Academy and Dream Business Mastermind and Coaching Program. He's also the host of Dream Business Coach TV and the Dream Business Radio Podcast. Not to mention that right now he's living on a boat and he's speaking to us today from that boat. Get excited because he can help you live your dreams. I'm thrilled and honored to introduce Jim Palmer to our show. Jim, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Well, Louie, it's my honor to be on your program and I thank you for the introduction. I, I love the whole premise of your show. Because, uh, it, you know, life goes by in a blur, and sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you do have to say yes, sometimes you got to say no, so I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you. Thank you. I am, too. Jim, where were you born? I was born in uh, western Massachusetts, a little, uh, it was Springfield, Mass., but I lived in a tiny little town called East Longmeadow. Okay. And were you born to a big family? Yeah, my we had uh, four kids in my family. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, kind of a typical 1960s family <laughs> dynamic. And interestingly enough, my wife came from a, a family of four kids, and then we ended up having four kids. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think maybe you should um, 
start believing in the occult power of numbers and play the lottery with combinations of four. <laughs> well, we, we were going for a nice family of three kids, and on the third try, we had twins. <laughs> oh, okay. And, uh, how old are your children? Uh, so my twins will be 30 in six months, and I have a 32 and a 34-year-old son. Wow, man, you got you you got started young. We did. Uh, we got married at 21, our first kid at 23. By the time I was 27, I had four kids. <laughs> wow. Hey, I applaud you because I'm still waiting to grow up. Well, <laughs> nobody said I grew up. And if Stephanie was here in an earshot, she would probably scream out, he never grows up. <laughs> and Stephanie, Stephanie, of course, is your lovely wife. I've been communicating. Yes, of 37 years. Wow, that's that's amazing. Uh, describe your early family life, Jim. Uh, very normal, I think. My dad went off to work. I mean, left er from my recollection, he left very early, came home around dinner time. But I, I remember when I was really young, he, he would go off and he went to night school. He was very much a career man. He ended up being a very successful businessman. Uh, I ended up moving uh, out of this little tiny town Halfway through my eighth grade year, in a, I, went, I went from a school that I think had about 400 kids total out of three grades to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, right in the middle of uh, uh, busing desegregation. So I went to a school that had 4,000 kids in it, all told. And um, that really forced me to come out of my uh, shy little shell. And then I moved again. My dad got promoted and we moved again halfway through my 10th grade year. Wow, you started off by saying, oh, you know, kind of normal. Well... Um, you know, you did some exceptional things there. Uh, what, what did your dad do? He was in manufacturing and, um, yeah, he, he ended up, he ended up owning a company that made, uh, anchors and chains for giant ships, including, uh, you know, U.S. military ships. Now you see, here we go. Anchors and ships and gee, you live on a boat. I live on a boat. My dad, mm. my dad calls it a ship. I'm sure my anchor and chain is nothing he would have made. <laughs> who, who would you say influenced you the most when you were growing up? Um, well, probably my dad. Um, it's funny, you know, I always make a nice post and, and talk to him on Father's Day. And my dad had this way. Uh, my recollection at this point is that he said very little, but he could look at you and you know you did wrong or about to and should not. And the look was one of don't embarrass me or yourself, you know. Um, but then, you know, as, as a teenager, when I was starting to witness, you know, what he was building in his career and, and then ultimately buying into the company, I was just fascinated with the whole idea of entrepreneurship. And so he was probably the first entrepreneur that I really got to know. Mm. You know what I love about what you said uh, uh, really strikes a chord with me. You said he didn't say much, but he could do it with a look because, uh, as you probably know, I act in film and television, and the communication on film is is really mostly with the eyes yes. and and with nonverbal um, communication. You know, so when you say that, I strongly relate to it because especially if it's on any kind of camera, a look can say it all. And yeah. Now, it's interesting. I don't yeah. watch a lot of TV, uh, especially since we moved on the boat. I never did because I was too busy growing my businesses. But um, when I did when I did watch uh, some shows, usually a couple sitcoms, I was always fascinated when you know, the little one-liners would come out and the wife or the husband would just shoot a look. Like you say, no words were exchanged, but you knew exactly what they were saying. Well, you, you know, uh, didn't since it's come up, this is a valuable thing because it's about, uh, I'm passionate about it because I teach people different forms of storytelling. And what you're talking about, uh, Michael Caine put it very beautifully when he was teaching acting for the camera and saying you have to understand that on camera it's the art of reacting as opposed to acting mm. you your your close ups a person's close ups are a series of shots reacting to what other people are saying and doing and if your reactions are authentic you've got a powerful performance i agree with that yes 
You know, I challenge people, do you want to learn something about storytelling? Look up the opening of Good, Bad, and the Ugly and watch it and have a little timer next to you and then see at what moment the very first word is spoken. You'll be shocked how much of it is in total silence and you're totally engaged and they're telling you a story. No you words. Know, that is so interesting. So one of the things I, you know, I speak and I run my own live events. And one of the things I do with some of my clients is I teach them presentation and how to be a speaker. And one of the things I do, <clears throat> Louis, is I'll say, listen, when you get introduced and you hit that stage, this is what I do. I go up and I'll take center stage and maybe I just have my kind of my fingers together down at my waist or whatever. But I'll look to the left and I'll look to the right, and in my head, I'm counting to 3,000, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000. And I said, the first time you do it, it's going to seem like a minute because people are staring at you. But what you're doing in that three seconds is getting the people who are looking at their phones or otherwise not paying attention, they think they should be hearing something. But since there's silence, they look up. And as soon as you have all eyes on you, boom, then you go. I love it. That is absolutely perfect. Um, it's good to hear that that's what you do. It's It's a very... Um, effective and professional way to begin. Now, did you have a dream when you were a kid of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Other than, you know, I mean, in my my very early years, uh, you know, probably, you know, 10, 12, 13, I, I, I thought I would be a rock and roll singer. Not a singer, but I, I actually played drums and guitar in high school, but um, never that good. And of course, I thought it'd be fun to be a sports figure. Just the typical uh, adolescent fantasies, if you will. I'm only 5'8", so I could hardly be a football player. But, um, you know, when I, when, I got, when I turned 15, I got my first job and I worked for an entrepreneur in a small bicycle store in my town. And that was the beginning of a, almost a 25-year career. In, in the bicycle business. And I, I just fell in love with entrepreneurship and, you know, the whole art of customer service and truly knowing why businesses succeed. And, and you know, to the degree that you have raving fans, you turn, you know, transactions into raving fans, all that stuff lit me up. And um, so I, I knew I would be in business at an early age. That's wonderful. I can hear the excitement in your voice when you talk about it. Were you, were you a good student? Did, did you like school? Nope. Um, I was a C student at best, and um, I was so deathly afraid of public speaking that when I was in high school, I think there was a history class and an English class, and, eventually, and they basically the teacher went up and down the rows, and each person would take turn reading to the class, and I would figure out on what day I'd come up, and I'd make sure I was out that day. <laughs> I mean, there, it was ridiculous to the degree that I did not want to speak in front of people. And um, so, yeah, I figured out how to get out of high school, and, and that was it. And the interesting thing is my two girls excelled at school, and my two boys had my gene because they figured out the exact minimum they needed to do to get their high school diploma, and that was it. I love that, you know, and it's, I find it fascinating, too, that here you are today. Uh, you do public speaking, and you teach people how to do it. Yeah. But do, do you know why I asked that question about school? Why? Because I find that many entrepreneurs who are very successful are people who just didn't like the system of education. Uh, it, it's not an accident. There's something about it that can stifle the imagination, that can, you know, people feel, nope, you're turning me into a carbon copy of thousands of others, and people rebel against it. And, um, yeah, so it's exciting to find that out. Because well, I'm finding... The, the, go ahead. The other, I'm sorry, Louis. The other thing about school is it teaches you, you go from grade one to two to three, and you just don't skip a grade. I mean, occasionally you hear, well, fictitious character like Doogie Hauser, But for the most part, you have to go from point A to point B to point C. When you're an entrepreneur, I, you know, I even wrote about it in my book, and I know we'll probably talk about the leapfrog. You can, nobody says you have to grow a, a $20,000 business before 50, or then you can go to six figures, and then only then can you go to $200,000. You, you can create a $200,000 business 
as, as fast as you want. And so school, which is very structured, I think goes against the entrepreneurial mindset. Real quick story. So uh, I just spent five years. I, I retired off the board when when we moved on to the boat. But uh, I spent five years with a nonprofit uh, called Good Works, and I not only volunteered but I uh, served on their board. And most of the people on the board were either older or retired or corporate mindset. And I was an entrepreneur. And I I told Stephanie after my first board meeting, I said, I don't know if I can do this. She said, you're there for a reason. Maybe they'll learn from you. I don't know. But I said, there was one meeting where we took 15 minutes to debate whether there should be a comma after the word and in the mission statement. And there was another another meeting where we debated whether the part-time – uh, gal who ran the the phones at the at the office there was going to get a one and a half percent raise, and I'm like, excuse me, can I ask? I mean, how much does she make? What is a one and a half percent? It was like eighteen hundred dollars. I said, we've been talking about this for fifty minutes. Can we take a collection around the table and come up with eighteen hundred bucks and get onto revenue increasing or something? You know? So it's a very different mindset. And I think school is what breeds kind of corporate thinking. And entrepreneurs, they want to go their own way and blaze their own trail. I love it. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. And uh, I think right now what's exciting is we are in the age of the entrepreneur. And uh, we're going to see much more of that in the very near future. Tell us about your first job at age 15 and how it applies to who you are today. So when I moved um, back to Massachusetts from Con- Louisville, Kentucky, um, lived in uh, Duxbury Town, one no- one town north of Plymouth, where the old Plymouth Rock is. And um, I told my dad, I really would like to have a car. I want to buy a drum set and all this other stuff. And he said, well, get yourself a job. And so the, the, the closest business that I could walk to from high school was a, a small bicycle store. And I walked down there and applied for work. And he said, you know how to fix bikes? I said, I think I can. I never fixed a bike in my life. And it quickly became apparent. He said, but I like your attitude. I'll teach you. And that really started off. Um, that started my entrepreneurial uh, career. And, and the, the lesson, I think probably the biggest lesson to learn there is what my dad said to me is what be- was also important for my kids. If you want something, go out and earn it. Uh, there's no free ride here. I give you a roof over your head. I'm giving you food and this, that, and the other thing. But you want something like a car, that's on you. Well, you know what else? I just, what I heard in that there's another important lesson, which is actually part of your philosophy. You said yes without really knowing how. And that's so important. Um, you're familiar with Les Brown? Yeah, I'm, I'm friends with Les. Oh, I, I love him. I love we're, when he we're, does. We're fellow cancer survivors. Yeah, I know. He's um, His was prostate cancer. Yeah. Yep. And he, um, I love when he says, the how is none of your business. The how is none of your business. You know, you, you, you commit Take that first step, and the how will begin to reveal itself. But you've got to take that first step. And that's what you did with your f- job in the bike shop. That's wonderful. That's right. Now, how did your victory over cancer influence your worldview and your current success? When I was, uh, I had this kind of vision that I wanted to be a VP by the time I was 40, and I was. I was VP of marketing for a training company. And then when I was 41 years old, um, <clears throat> on a Monday, I got back from uh, taking my family on vacation. We went up through Canada and through New England. My first day back, my boss comes into my office and says, Jim, I know you're going to be successful. You're super talented. And I'm thinking, what the heck is this conversation about? He goes, we're eliminating your position with the company. I think we're going to be fine without a head of marketing. And today's your last day. And just like that, for that, that I, I had been working since 15, and I was the, I was the chief uh, breadwinner for my family. My wife was a stay-at-home mom, and she had some part-time work, but I was carrying the majority of the uh, load on, on the income. And um, suddenly, I was out of work. And I was out of work for 15 months, and 12 months in, uh, almost almost to the day after, when I lost my job, I, you know, I'm sitting there very stressed out. We quickly burned through the meager savings that we had, you know, four kids is quite expensive as you probably have heard or, or no, I don't know. But anyway, um, then I got a, I got a call from my doctor said, Jim, I'm sorry, it's malignant. It's, it's stage two. It might be stage three, but you need to see a surgeon right away. And it's, it, what was interesting, Louis, is that I had been for 12 months consumed with finding work. I mean, networking, 
papers. Uh, there used to be websites called Monster. I don't even know if they're still around, but all the all, every way, shape, and form that I could look for work, I was doing. And suddenly, I couldn't even care less about a job. I need my new mission was to stay alive and, and be around for my family. And long story short, um, about 90 days after that diagnosis, the surgeon said. Um, we're going to consider you cancer free. And I think there was a little pause and he goes for now. <laughs> and, um, you know, for six years I've, I've gone every quarter and I go every six month for checkups for the rest of my life. I've, it was melanoma and I've had it two times since, but we keep catching it early on my checkups. But one of the interesting things that changed my life view was at that moment, not that I thought about how long I had to live. I mean, pre-diagnosis, I thought, well, I'm 40. I'll probably be around another 40 years or 50. Who knows? Suddenly, I went for a, almost a month, Louis, not knowing whether my chances of being around in five years were 80% or 50% because they didn't know if it was stage two or stage three. And when Stephanie was driving me home from the hospital, we're going through uh, Valley Forge Park in, in Pennsylvania, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful part of the state. And I'm looking out the window. I go, God, look at those trees. And she's like, what? <laughs> the last thing I ever did was say, my God, aren't those pretty trees? But now I started noticing these things and things that used to get me upset or I, you know, I'd be a little quick on the uh, temper trigger. They don't upset me anymore. I mean, it's not that I don't get upset today, but it's, it's completely different. And I'll tell you this, every day I wake up, literally before I get out of bed, unless I really have to go, because <laughs> I'm 59, I'm sure you can relate to that. But I, I thank God for the gift that is this day, because every day is a gift and a blessing. So how did cancer change my life? I have such an appreciation for just getting out of bed, putting my feet on the floor, because so many people don't get that opportunity. Yeah, I hear you. It really got you... Um in touch on a visceral level with gratitude. That's wonderful. And how would you say, well, I, no, I, don't, I won't say it's obvious. How did it contribute to your current business success? I, I realized um, that, first of all, life can be short, much shorter than you think it is. And one of the things, I don't know if the, somebody gave me one as a gift, but I, I have since um, a few years ago, I, I I bought a real nice hourglass, kind of a brass and glass. It's an hour, and it sits on my desk. I actually, even though we we pack most of our stuff up, it's sitting right here on my desk on the boat, and it's always reminding me that the sand is running out. You can't stop it. You can't slow it down. And sooner or later, what I like to tell my my clients, I said, listen. You right now are playing on the main stage. This is not a dress rehearsal, and sooner or later the curtain's going to come down, and that will be it. Are you happy with your performance so far? And I realize that um, you know you you need to do things right now because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, that is it's so it's so true, and and you have such clarity about it because it came out of your experience. Uh, this may seem like a weird question because it was, but have you seen the series Breaking Bad? I have never seen that. No, I have not. Um, it's not everybody's cup of tea. It is absolutely brilliant. But the premise is a, a teacher, brilliant teacher, who is um, teaching chemistry, gets a diagnosis of terminal cancer, doesn't tell his family, and in order to leave them set up financially, he embarks on a life of crime, creating crystal meth. Mm. But, but it sounds weird, but the way it's developed, totally believable. Uh, it's a very, very, very powerful show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> what, we're going what, deep. Huh? Yeah, we're going deep here, Louie. Yeah, listen, it's the only way to go, you know. What, what were the biggest obstacles you had to overcome to create your success? Um, well, first of all, my wife says I have the patience of a gnat, so that I, I'm always fighting with that. Um, you know, I think I, I, I sometimes joke the microwave oven was the worst invention for entrepreneurs because, uh, you know, I, I can I can microwave a Thanksgiving dinner in four and a half minutes, but you cannot create a successful business in 30 days <laughs> or, you know, or, or you know, it, it's going to take what it's going to take because every successful business is based on relationships. <clears throat> so the biggest obstacle that I think every entrepreneur and myself included is you can't microwave trust and 
You know, the expression is people buy from people they know, like, and trust. You can't speed up that process. It's kind of like if you go on a blind date or even the first date you had with your, the first date I had with Stephanie, I mean, I was nervous, but if I had blurted out, oh my God, I love you so much. I want to marry you and have a bunch of kids. I wouldn't be married to her today. She'd go running away screaming how icky that was. You know, Mm. you, you, you have to let the relationship develop. And so one of my clients asked me a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, so I, I've got this website, it's got a landing page, we give people a free report, and then, you know, we, we, uh, we continue to email them through autoresponders. At what point should I, should I ask them to uh, buy something? I said, why would you ask them at any point to buy something, you know, unless it's very far down the road? It's like, do you ever go to a networking event or maybe you go to a holiday party? Hi, my name's Jim. I'm a coach. Do you want to coach with me? It's like, it's so, it's so out of order, yet people rush the sale. So probably the biggest obstacle is me controlling my own impatience for results. Do you, do you meditate? I pray. I guess that's probably similar, but I, I don't meditate. Well, it's, uh, I won't say it's, it's similar. I mean, the praying definitely slows you down and puts your focus somewhere else. But um, a good guided meditation would help tremendously with the, uh, the impatience. I say that because I am a very impatient person. I get restless and I started meditating and it's helping a lot. It really is. Well, cool. You know what? One of the other big obstacles is, if I can just go off a little bit, is is letting go. Uh, most entrepreneurs uh, have this, I can do it better, cheaper, and faster than anyone else, so why would I pay somebody else to do something I can do myself? <laughs> and what I say is, yeah, but one of the chapters in my book, Decide, was called Delegate or Stay Small Forever. You can't do it all. There's just mm-hmm. not enough time. And so the bottleneck is you have to you have to hire and train correctly, but then you empower people to do the job that you want. And what I've gotten uh, pretty skilled at is I look for people who can give me 80% of what I can deliver. Because honestly, so many people go, I just want to replicate myself. or I want to find somebody else with an ownership mentality. I said, why would you want to do that? Because if they have an ownership mentality, they'll go start their own business. You want to find somebody who really, really does what you need to have done in a good way. And they're just happy to be handsomely compensated and appreciated doing that but you also have to appreciate the fact that they're not going to do it exactly as you would do it but having them do it frees you up to do other things and that that will grow your business faster mm-hmm. a lot of wisdom there um alex mendozian a wonderful marketer would call that a, a backpack moment it's a moment when you could put on your backpack and leave the lecture because you've gotten everything you need at that point. (laughs) There you go. Very, very good. How do two simple words, the words, what if, stop people from living their dreams? You know, whether you have a dream to start a business, to grow a business, to uh, build a home on a mountain, or to sell your house and live on a boat, I think people, when they think about that and they're dreaming about that it excites them i think even viscerally internally something happens to their brain there's some kind of a chemical i don't know what it is but it makes them feel happy i think they get very romantic about the idea i've heard the term uh people romanticize about living on a boat and i agree with that but something happens after you make the decision to do it in other words you've committed you might have even told somebody this is what i'm going to do it's the what ifs start coming in and your the the other side of your brain the practical side of your brain would say yeah but what if you fail what if you don't you know make it what if you embarrass yourself and your family what if you lose your savings what if what if and there's a bunch of what ifs and to the degree that you let the what ifs win and overtake your desire see that's really louis i think what separates the top 10% or top 5 or top 1% from the rest the top 1% can push through and they can kick all distractions and fears to the curb where most people get stuck uh, with the limited thought pattern or the head, I call it the head trash. Um, By example, when Stephanie and I almost a year ago um, said, you know, we're going to live on a boat. We're going to sell the house. We're going to live on a boat. We're going to go on a big adventure. And then I think as the next couple days went by, we're thinking, wow, this is going to be exciting. But then you know, what if I don't know how to drive a 50-foot boat in a small marina and I, you know, can 
do damage to myself or other people? What if we run aground? What if, so many what ifs. And um, the interesting thing was I read this book from uh, somebody who became a live aboard and he happened to be a, a, he runs his business from a boat. He said, yeah, but what if every day you get up and you, you fix that problem, you overcome that challenge. And what if you find out, pardon my French, he goes, what if you find out you're a badass boat driver and you go on the adventure of a lifetime that you would never experience if you let the what ifs get you down? And so that's why I wrote that chapter on the what ifs. And then when I read that, all the what ifs that I had been thinking about um, just kind of went away. And I said, you know what? We are going to figure this out. I'm not a, I'm not a mechanic, so I don't like work on engines. I can fix – I've learned how to fix water pumps and things like that. But we, fi- we figure things out every day. And, and Louis, when Stephanie and I got on the boat and uh, our original home port or hailing port, as they call it, was uh, the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, northern Maryland, and we drove the boat about 420 nautical miles from, um, from the Chesapeake Bay up to Rhode Island where we're spending the summer near our, our, one of our daughters and two grandkids. And I've never driven a boat in the Atlantic Ocean before. We, there was a, an hour we bounced around like a cork in a washing machine. Mm. <laughs> and, and we overcame. I drove the boat right through New York up the East River said hey to Rakers Island, which you always see in the cop shows. And <clears throat> I mean, we did it. We got here and we realized, wow, it's been a while since we've been outside our comfort zone. That's beautiful. I love that story. Did you take a long time to find the boat? You, I, apparently, you, you had to find a good one and buy it. We did. Um, I had been looking for a long time online. We thought we were settled on a specific model of a Carver yacht and then um, looked at a couple of them and and then we went to uh, Annapolis, Maryland boat show, and we saw this boat and fell in love with it. The only problem, well, there was, it was about 50 grand outside of our agreed upon budget. And, um, but then I didn't even know this boat existed, so I just went online and started searching. It was a 2008. I found a 2006, which was in our budget, and it happened to be about three and a half hours from where we lived. So we went to see it, made an offer, and, and that's the boat we're living on. Fantastic. Hey, by the way, what's its name? Floating home. Floating home. <laughs> I <laughs> <And> love if, <laughs> it. <laughs> and if any of if any of your listeners are interested, Stephanie and I started a blog. I mean, we lived in that home for almost thirty years, and all, friends, neighbors, family, every a lot of people. Well, it was funny. We Stephanie and I said when you told somebody what we were doing, you got one of two reactions. There was no gray. It was either oh my God, that's so cool, or what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's one of those two. And so we started a blog. It's called OurFloatingHome.com. It has nothing to do with my business. It's just our own personal blog. People want to see what the boat looks like. We got a video tour, and we're, we're documenting some of our journeys, and we took pictures when we went by the Statue of Liberty. So if anybody's curious, it's OurFloatingHome.com. I'm definitely going to visit. That's that's fascinating. That's wonderful. What inspired you to create Dream Builder Academy? Uh, Dream Business Academy was something that um, I've been told that I should, in the coaching business, one of the one of the nicest things or best things you can do for your business is to do your own live events. And you know, it was it, doing a live event is <clears throat> being a public speaker on steroids because you're on your own stage for three days <laughs> or however long it is. And honestly. Some of the head trash that I had early on, Louis, was if you do your own event, you have to rent a hotel, you know, a meeting space, and they don't just let you rent the meeting room. You got to guarantee so many um, room nights, and you got to pay a certain amount for the, for food and beverage. It's a big deal to put on your own live event. And so the reason I hesitated for a couple of years was that I might well, what if nobody comes and I'm on the hook for ten, twenty, thirty grand? And then. The other part of it is, what if a lot of people come and want to hear me and I stink and I don't do a good job? So I finally, you know, with some coaching of my own, I got over that. Turns out I'm pretty good at it. People love my events. But Dream Business Academy is a way for people to learn um, exactly how I've grown multiple businesses and the different ways that I market them. But I don't just share like, oh, you got to do this widget or write your email this way. I, I also spend a lot of time talking about my journey and the mindset because, you know, I definitely held myself back with some of my, my negative thoughts. And, um, so I, I wanted it to be different. It, I call it a pitch free zone. So the speakers who come and, and they come on their own dime and, uh, they don't, there's no pitching. So it's a hundred percent content. And so that's why I created it. That's fantastic. 
Um, I'm glad you, you, you corrected me. I said Dream Builder Academy. It's Dream <laughs> Business. Well, but they are building dreams as well. But it is the Dream Business Academy. Yes, sir. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more about what people will get from the Academy? Because I, I love the fact that you mentioned mindset because it's my belief. That's why I've got this show that most of what contributes to success is related to mindset, not about technique. You can usually learn most techniques pretty quickly. But One hundred percent in agreement with you. And I heard somebody say once, I think you can determine who's going to be successful when you look at their skill, their talent, their work ethic, their drive, ambition, moral compass, and their mindset. And I said, I think you're wrong. And I said, you're partially right, but here's my belief. I think you're your, your, your skill, your talent, your, your work ethic, your drive, your ambition, your moral compass, those are the things that make up the machine that is your business. Your mindset is what fuels the machine. You know, sometimes I'll, as an example, I'll, I'll talk about it like a dentist or even an accountant. You can go and, and to years of school and, and perfect your craft. Uh, and you could even continue, you know, continuing education. You could, in the case of a dentist, you can learn how to get teeth whiter, faster, and process more patients better than anybody. But what will really drive your revenue is your mindset. You see, people, people, if you don't have the right mindset for success, you're not going to do what needs to be done. And one of the things I, I usually teach is that you will earn infinitely more income for who you are compared to what you do. See, it's not about the deliverable. It's not about the teeth getting clean. It's not about adding numbers really well on your spreadsheet or your, your QuickBooks. It's about who is seen and who is perceived to be the go-to expert in any specific niche. And to the degree that you create a really a, a killer brand and you back it up with some really great marketing, that makes you, instead of pursuing new clients, that means clients will be pursuing you. I love that answer. And as you were talking, I was thinking of my dentist, who's been my dentist for more than 30 years. And yeah, he certainly is a good technician. But I chose him because of who he is and the kind of trust that he inspires in people uh, because of who he is as a person. That's, that's really significant. And you just did answer, if people come to your academy, they're going to learn how to apply that kind of thinking to their businesses. Yeah, it's a, th it's a three-day event, Louis, and the first two days is 100% teaching. On the third day, we go from eight to three, and it's I call them profit seats. Some people call them hot seats. I'll have people come up on the stage, and I'll do a 15- or a 20-minute business transformation. And whether you're getting the profit seat uh, or you're sitting in the audience watching it. There are there. It is it is an intense day, of of transformations, and people writing things down that they can use in their own business. And by the end of it, I believe in working hard and playing hard. So one of the things we also do to make our event a little different. So we end at three o'clock on Friday and give everybody a couple hours off, but we come back together at five and I do something fun. And, you know, when we do our event in San Diego, I rented a, a 60 foot catamaran. We did a sunset cruise around San Diego Bay. And um, our event in September is in um, Providence, Rhode Island. And I rented a, uh, uh, about a 50 foot old schooner, multi-mass schooner ship. And so we're going to do a sunset cruise around Narragansett Bay. So I, I, I work hard, but we also play hard. That's fabulous. That is really wonderful. You, we've touched a bit on this, but even more specifically, what is the power behind your message, Just Say Yes, which is also um, the title of one of your, of your main books? Yes, my latest book is number seven. Um, Just Say Yes, uh, I think is a mantra, especially if you're an entrepreneur or a growth-oriented entrepreneur. Um, when you see a good opportunity, um, something that will help advance your goals and get you, get you to move quickly to a, a more profitable business or whatever that looks like, um, you quickly want to weigh the pros and cons. I'm not saying you, you just make huge life decisions willy-nilly, but you don't belabor it to death. And the only way you're going to move forward, especially if it's a good opportunity, is to just say yes. And, and when you do that, you very often have to figure out 
what happens next, right? Like the people who, who don't take action until they know every step along the way, they never go anywhere because it's almost impossible to know what you're going to need to know because you don't know what you don't know, right? So, but moving forward, what, what, what has really propelled me, I think, in, in such a big way is I just have this I just have this innate sense, and I've always had it, that I was going to be very successful, but I didn't know when, and I didn't quite know how. But man, I am going to chase. I'm going to chase my dream and my vision of success in a very quick way. And to the degree that I had different opportunities to come up, I was just going to say yes, and I'll figure it out as we go. Another another expression I was flirting with uh, for the book title was "jump and learn how to fly on the way down." I love that too, and of course, uh, this is a um, one of the mantras we hear from Richard Branson, and uh, going back again to Mister Les Brown, the how is none of your business. <laughs> yeah. Now, what are the two F words that you focus on in your book? Well, if anybody knows me, it's not what you think it is because I, I, don't, I don't talk like that. But, you know, you got to come up with a good title, right? Um, the two F words are fear and forgiveness. And, Louis, we've talked a little bit about fear. It's, it's the unknown, the what ifs, what holds you back. So I'll probably let that one lie. But I'll talk about another F word, which I don't think is anybody's talked about in a business book, and it's forgiveness. And, you know, we learned in, in faith that forgiveness is more about you than it is the other person. The type of forgiveness that I'm talking about is for entrepreneurs – who are afraid to move forward, are afraid to invest in themselves, to grow their business, to put a little more skin in the game, because maybe they didn't make the best choices early on. Maybe they blew an opportunity they should have said yes to. And um, I learned that. So I've been coaching for like uh, nine years now. And I learned this a couple of years ago. I'll just give you one example, but there's three that really stuck in my head that I, I want. And it's kind of the reason I want to put this in the book is there was somebody who wanted to work with me and she said, I, I really believe this is going to be a great experience, but I just can't pull the trigger. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I said this exactly, but I don't talk anybody into anything. You've got to want to do this and you've got to say, yes, you know what that, you know what the plan is, you know what we would do together. And I said, let, let me just ask you, what is holding you back? And this person said, up to this point, over the last two years, I've spent $40,000 on programs, seminars, other coaches, and I'm no farther along than I was two years ago. And she goes, in my gut, I know this will be different, but I just can't afford to waste any more money. And I said, well, you need to forgive yourself. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you did make some bad choices, but we all do that. No entrepreneur is perfect. I mean, gosh, I've, I've pardon the expression, pissed away money faster. <laughs> and I, I went blew 20 grand on what I thought was a great business idea. Eight months, eight months later, I was in 20 grand in the hole. I closed that down. I mean, we all do things because we're, we're trying to grow. I said, the only people who aren't making mistakes are the people who aren't doing anything. I said, if you truly want to do this, and I hope you do, you need to forgive yourself. And I describe in the book a process. Do, do we have time for me to describe that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what you want to do you can't just say, okay, I forgive myself. I think you want to do something physical. So what I tell people to do is write it down on a three by five piece of card or card stock or paper. It doesn't matter. Just write it down. One thing, two, three, three things. And then you need to get rid of it. You can throw it in the fireplace. You can throw it in your barbecue or the bonfire out back. You can cut it up into a lot of pieces and dig a tiny hole in your backyard, put it in there, step the grass back in there. And, and what you want to do at that point is you say to yourself, I will no longer think of this. I forgive myself for these past mistakes, for last opportunities I did not say yes to. And starting today, I'm going to move forward. And you, you do that. And the physical act of actually doing that is, is very therapeutic. That is great. That is really, really, really wonderful. You made me think of a book. You may know the book, Radical Forgiveness. Do you know it? I've heard of it. Yes, I have. Yes, Radical Forgiveness by Colin Tipping. You can find it on Amazon and on Audible. I have it on audiobook, and it is so worth listening to. And storytellers, you can pick it up for free by simply going to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. 
It's just so amazing, Louie, that things that we hold on to, grudges or ill feelings or whatever, it all kind of boils into that same pot. But those are things that are stifling your growth. It's, they're preventing you from moving forward, whether it's in business or just in life, whatever your, the next chapter of your journeys looks like. Those are the, those are, you're holding on to things. And so it's interesting when I heard you know, many years ago um, that forgiveness is more about you than the other person. It's exactly true. Even though you're the one who feels you've wronged yourself, it's still about you. You know, I saw this video and I actually detailed it in the book. It was called Everybody Dies. And um, this guy said they did a big survey uh, study of people who were kind of on death's door. And they asked them, what what are some of the things that you regret about your life? And he said almost to a person, nobody could name something they regret, but they all said something that they regretted not doing. Mm. And that's that's one of the reasons Stephanie and I said yes to this journey. We don't want to. There's a lot of reasons. I mean, I'm 59, and you know, financially speaking, buying a boat like this is not exactly the best investment you can make getting close to retirement. <laughs> but um, we we wanted to say yes. We want to go on this big journey, not only to enjoy it now because we're both still young and healthy, but later on in life, we didn't want to say why didn't we just do that when we had the chance. That is wonderful. That is tremendous. This is another backpack moment, my friend. Another backpack moment. <laughs> now, what's the relationship of seesaws, leapfrog, and being childlike to a small business owner's success? Another favorite chapter of mine, and just say yes. So seesaws, uh, for every time you say yes to something, it is not only possible, it's probably fairly common that you're going to have to say no to something else. Okay, for us in our, in our personal life, we said yes to living on the boat. We're spending the summer in Rhode Island. That meant we had to say no to staying back with where our other daughter and our, our new grandson lives. That's just one thing. And Stephanie's parents live there. Um, if I say yes to something in business, <clears throat> I'm already working pretty hard, but if I say yes to doing something else, I'm probably going to have to say no to something I'm currently doing to make room for that because we all have the same, you know, 24 hours in a day. So that's a little bit about, um, the seesaw effect, you know, yet if you pile too many yeses, you can envision the two children on the seesaw. If, if, if there's three kids on one side, meaning yeses and one kid on the other side, meaning no's, it's going to be horribly out of balance. Now, as far as leapfrog, I, I sort of, uh, intimated that earlier. Nobody says you have to start a business and then grow your way up to six figures. And you can grow as fast as you want. You don't have to wait for somebody to anoint you as an expert in your industry. You anoint yourself. I mean, before I was the dream business coach, my current brand of about five years, I was the newsletter guru because my first business was producing newsletters and I anointed myself the newsletter guru. I didn't go to school for design and writing. I just, I was just really good at newsletters. And so I said, doggone it, I'm the best there is. And so, you know, you can leapfrog your success. You don't have to go from grade one to grade two, et cetera. And the final piece of that chapter is uh, being childlike. It's interesting, and now we really see it um, with our grandkids. When you when you have a childlike attitude or you are childlike, it, it's like you have no fear. You can do anything. And I think the older we get in life, we get a little more conservative or cautious, and we, we, we're willing to take less risk. And, you know, I truly believe that the only way to achieve big things is to risk in, in a fairly big way. One of the people I, I use as an example is Fred Smith, the founder of Federal Express, now called FedEx. Now, you know, I'm, I'm sure you know, Louis, that was part of uh, his paper in college was this overnight spoken wheel delivery system. Well, when Fred started Federal Express, he didn't just test out his theory by buying a few used Cessna planes in Tennessee, Arkansas, and Kentucky. He invested in multiple DC-9 jets, pilots, co-pilots, ground crew, the whole the, the software and systems that he had. He put that whole thing into, into play and was losing millions and millions and millions of dollars for, for like almost a year. I forget the exact time frame. But eventually... Um, his, his, his process caught hold. He got momentum and he, I mean, he's a very wealthy man, but he risked a lot, right? So to, to the degree that you're willing to risk, uh, and accept the fact that, uh, have a little less fear for, for failure is where you're going to achieve bigger things. 
Thank you again for another backpack moment. That's three, I think, right? Yeah, we got three. We got three at least. Now, what impels you to jump out of bed with a sense of purpose every day? It's really interesting. First of all, I love what I do, and some people say that, but here's the thing. I have created a business where, I mean, not only do I love coaching other entrepreneurs, and the paycheck isn't bad, I'll give you that, but I get to see and experience other people growing their business, and that is so rewarding. Um, you know, I've structured my business so that I, I run my coaching business three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I'm, so I can have a nice long weekend if I want. If I choose to work on Friday, I'm not doing any calls, but it's just me. Maybe I'm working on a book or whatever. But so I run my coaching business three days a week. So one of the things I think is important about a dream business, which is kind of my, my language there, is you want to structure a business so that Sunday night you're not cursing saying oh crap tomorrow's monday <laughs> how long till we get to the weekend you should be able to run a business that you truly enjoy that makes a difference in the lives of others and that you can be handsomely rewarded for doing you know when you said i really love what i do my comment is you can't fake that uh it's coming through in your energy throughout this call it's wonderful and that that's that was a a very um I would say an enriching answer for people to um, to receive. Well, I do I do about 150 uh, of these type of interviews every year, Louie. And not only do I enjoy them, and it actually brings people as prospects to my business, which is a good reason to do it, but I love talking about stuff like this with people like you because this is what gets me excited. I, I mean, I've been... I've been horribly in debt. I've been down and out. My first year in business was revenue free, which means it took a year to get my first paying client. I've been up and down and all around. And, you know, the last, uh, you know, half a dozen, seven years have been very, very, we've been very blessed. And so I like to share that because I like to see people do well. I mean, I, I think we're all, I think we're all created for greatness. And to the degree that you live a mediocre life, Honestly, it says more about you than it does your lack of skill or talent. I know that sounds a little harsh, but it's kind of right. No, no, it, it's true. It's true. Uh, to the degree that you you show up small in the world, you're cheating yourself and other people. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's 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 quite um, that's quite true. Now, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing in the world, just one, what would it be? I would say that uh, I wish people could work together that have opposing viewpoints on anything. I mean, it could be business, politics, whatever. But I think, well, at least what I've observed in the last you know, several years is that if, if you talk to somebody who has an opposing viewpoint, the conversation tends to get heated very quickly. And people are more interested in convincing the other person that they're wrong instead of sharing why they believe what they believe and maybe enlightening that person. Um, it's kind of a broad brushstroke, but I mean, you know, I think when people work together, you can, uh, John F. Kennedy or not John Kennedy, Ronald Reagan had a, a thing on his, a plaque on his desk, a quote, I'm pretty sure it was Winston Churchill. And he said, it's amazing what people can do when they don't care who gets the credit. And yeah. to me that, that speaks to working together and, and just having a common goal. That is great. That's really wonderful because it's profound because if everyone embraced that and practiced it, we would have world peace. Yes. You know, we would have world peace. Where do you see yourself in five years? That's a good question. Uh, you know, when I did, uh, I went to college for a couple of years and I remember way back when you used to have a, a one, three, five and a 10 year plan. <laughs> I don't even think anybody has a five year plan anymore because life changes so rapidly. Um, if I if I had to, so I'll have to give an answer because you asked. I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll still be living on the boat at that time or doing something different. Stephanie and I are just going to figure it out as we go. I know in five years I will be what might be described as semi-retired. I work with about 48 clients now. Maybe I'll work with 10 or 12 and maybe work one day a week or two days a week. But I love, I but I don't know that I'll ever stop or slow down because I love what I do and I think it, it behooves all of us to use our, our natural skills to, to share with other people. Well, I believe that with your philosophy that you will discover what the choices need to be and you'll make right the good ones, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's apparent because it's become a habit in your life and that's, that's quite wonderful. 
Now, what is your favorite book besides your own? (laughs) (laughs) Besides my own. Um, Well, I'll say the Bible, because I think the answer is to just about every problem is in the Bible. Okay. Um, So I'll go with that. All right. Not a bad choice. How about a favorite quote? Favorite quote? Um, Well, I just gave you one. I thought that was a pretty good one. Let me me come up with another one. Yeah, that was a Uh, good one, yeah. (laughs) Um, Here's one of my own. Um, gross is for vanity, net is for sanity, which Ooh. means gross is something, hey, I have a million dollar business. Well, net, how much do you actually keep, right? <laughs> I knew a guy once who, who did a million dollars a year in the seminar business and his expenses were a million and one hundred, a million, one hundred thousand dollars. So he actually lost money. So it's not about what you gross. It's about what you keep. Yeah, I love that. And it's uh, it's very catchy as well. The other one was by Winston Churchill, you think, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. And my friend Google will definitely identify who said that. Yes. I'm going to jump back to a question I didn't ask. Why should people think in terms of bigger, bolder, faster? Because... Uh, well, okay, let's talk about that. Number one, uh, I've already established that time is short. Uh, not everybody's going to grow to a ripe old age. Uh, I believe if you're going to if you're going to play any kind of a game, you might as well play a big one, um, and and you do need to get things done faster. So, what does bigger, bolder, faster look like? Well, if you're in a business now and you say you know what, I'm, I'm growing slow and steady. I'm comfortable with this. And believe me, that if that's what you're comfortable doing, that may be fine. That's Slow and steady is not the way to grow a, a fast business that's going to be wildly successful. Those businesses are those that, that act quickly and boldly and, and, and think bigger. So thinking bigger might be, well, I'd like to have three new clients this month. Well, instead of three, why don't you go for nine? Or better yet, why don't you go for 25? Go for something big. And by the way, if you set a goal of, say, 25 and you fall woefully short and only hit 10, 10 is so much better than three. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. So if, if you're going to think, you might as well think big and you might as well be bold because, um, you know, here's the thing. In, in society, in any business industry niche or whatever, there's always going to be the top producers, whether it's the top 1%, 5%, 10%. Those people that are in that category or that league those are people that are willing to do things that other people are not willing to do so they can enjoy a life that other people won't live you know somebody very early on i think i was in business only three years and uh i i I, my wife and i had kayaks and we used to live near a lake so i think it was around lunchtime i went for a paddle and i remember coming out of the water and there was a woman with a couple small kids sitting on like the little beach area and she said, well, it looks like fun. I said, it's very relaxing. She goes, do you mind if I ask what you do that you can be out here paddling in the middle of the day? I said, I own my own business. And she goes, oh, it must be nice. <laughs> and I said, without missing a beat, yeah, it is nice. I can choose whatever 80 hours in the week I want to work. <laughs> so I guarantee I'll be working at 10 o'clock tonight when you're probably asleep. So oh. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, <laughs> that, that is good. You made me think of another book, which I, I love. I I often mention on this show because people kind of trigger it. Uh, you may know it. It's called Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth, and Impact the World by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Cutler. Uh, if you don't know it, you will absolutely love it. And now, how can people contact you, Jim? So, um on the, uh, as far as on the internet, my home base is getjimpalmer.com, getjimpalmer.com. Um, you asked me about Dream Business Academy. That website is dreambizacademy, dreambizacademy.com. If people are interested, my next event is the end of September in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island. And if people are just curious about the personal side, um, Stephanie and I, uh, our blog is ourfloatinghome.com. Any final thoughts for our storytellers? I think everybody was created for greatness. So if you're settling for mediocrity, that's a choice you're making. And if you have an opportunity to do something fun or go on a big adventure or to grow a really successful business, I think you should just say yes and figure it out. I can't thank you enough. You've really contributed a lot today. And because of your 
authenticity and passion for what you do. It's been a tremendous amount of fun. It has been. I've really enjoyed our time together, Louis. Thank you for having me. You're quite welcome, my friend. Storytellers, thank you for coming on this journey today with me and Jim Palmer. You've experienced a guest who has offered you life-changing gifts. Pay it forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And all of you have access at that website to a gift that I created for you, a free downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Jim spoke passionately today about committing to your own personal growth. And of course, one of the most powerful ways to grow yourself is to read great books. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and download for free any audiobook of your choice choosing from more than 120,000 titles, and take advantage of one month of all of Audible's service. Continue to send your comments about the show to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com and include your thoughts and feelings for what Jim offered you today. One of his main themes is the importance of of showing up in the world and choosing to play large. During the next week, ask yourself, are there any areas of my life where I'm still playing small? And make a decision to change that. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.